Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour. Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. And I'm Suzanne Zargis. We're bringing you the latest news in the Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. We'll also inform you of latest updates, practices, and news as it pertains to our district. Whether you are new to the using technology in the classroom or a seasoned vet, we are here to help. One of the reasons that we are doing this podcast is to help you, our listeners. We know how busy everyone in education is and how difficult it is to find uninterrupted time to read about new technologies and think about how you can implement them in your school or classroom. The goal of this podcast is to get you the information in a way that you can access it anywhere at any time. Our podcast is a way for you to hear about the exciting work your colleagues are doing across the district and the most up-to-date technology news that may impact your daily instruction. As educators, we have a lot to offer each other. This is just one way for us to leverage the technology we have to share your ideas, best practices, and experiences, as well as answer any burning questions you may have. The show will include the following segments. In case you missed it, This will be the time where we update you on the latest blog posts and system updates. The hot takes segment will be a few minutes where Mike and I discuss various education-related topics based on articles we've read, videos we've seen, or tools we've discovered, interspliced with our personal opinions. We are hoping to inspire discussion as we share our thoughts and welcome your feedback. After hot takes will be the interview of the week, followed by a time to discuss comments and a question of the week which will apply to what we've discussed during the show. When we come back, we will catch you up on the prior week's news with In Case You Missed It. In Case You Missed It, our newest blog post is up. You can find it on the main district page in Brightspace and the We Learn My SPS page. In this week's article, we actually discuss what a blog is, how it can be used in the classroom, and five tips for you to think about if having a blog is something you might like to try. Included are some of Mike's favorite quotes from writers about writing, so check it out. In case you missed it, we've been creating training videos that can be found in a few places like YouTube and Office 365. These videos will walk a viewer through how to execute a few different tasks within Brightspace including embedding a Padlet and having students upload files to Brightspace through the OneDrive. You can find these videos and more on the SPS OITA YouTube page and the Office 365 videos page. That's it for In Case You Missed It. Coming up next, Hot Takes.
as we jump into our hot takes today. So our hot take for the week actually is the same thing. We're going to be talking about the growth mindset and Carol Dweck. So, but first, before we even jump into the articles that we read, we should talk a little about who she is and what the growth mindset is. So Carol Dweck is a world-renowned Stanford University psychologist, and she spent decades on research on achievement and success, and she, through all of her research, she came up with this idea of the power of our mind or the power of the mindset. Um, she's got a great book out there called Mindset, and in it she discusses what it is, how it applies to students and businesses and adults and everybody. She makes clear why praising our children's intelligence and ability doesn't foster self-esteem and lead to accomplishment, but may actually jeopardize success. With the right mindset, we can motivate kids and help them to improve in school as well as reach our own goals, personal and professional. Carol Dweck reveals all, all of this in her book, so hopefully that parents and teachers and even CEOs and athletes can learn about it and gain more knowledge. So the two articles that we read, that we both kind of read across this week, were from this website called MindShift. MindShift is a great place to go out there and get lots of tools. They have lots of interesting educational articles, the psychology behind things, and it's really great. So this first article that we're going to discuss is called Growth Mindset, Clearing Up Some Common Confusions. So Suzanne, what's one of the things that you took away from this article? Well, as soon as I started reading this article, I knew I was going to love what I was about to learn. Uh, the first sentence, a growth mindset is the understanding that personal qualities and abilities can change. It leads people to take on challenges, persevere in the face of setbacks, and become more effective learners. That alone is so inspiring to me because as a teacher, I always was trying to figure out how can I get through to every single student? What is it that will give them that ability to persevere when they're ready to give up? And it's more, as we'll discuss, it's more than just saying, oh, you're doing a great job or try harder. It's this growth mindset and um, the belief that you can change how your mind works and you can tackle any challenge. Particularly with technology, I've encountered many people that for various reasons will immediately say, I cannot do anything technology related. I am not good at it. I don't like it because I'm not good at it. And they almost shut down, just as a student would in the classroom. So would you say that this is more of like a fixed mindset that people come into, not just in technology, but in the classroom? I, I can think back to in the last few years when I was teaching and we'd start something like fractions and be like, oh, goodness gracious, Mr. Thomas, I don't understand these fractions at all. And I would respond like, well, do you like to eat? Because fractions are in our food all the time. Yeah, I like pizza. Pizza's fractions. And so it's like in my time working with them, this is even before I learned about what growth mindset is. I was constantly trying, like you were saying, Suzanne, like really understand what can I do to motivate them to want to learn. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought up the math because that's immediately what I thought of as well. Many people, I believe, based on the way they were taught how to do math, if they didn't get it the way their teacher taught it to them, they shut down and were basically 
starting out with that mindset of, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, where really what they needed was someone to show them a different strategy. There are so many different ways to solve a math problem. And unless you are exposed to those different strategies, you end up sitting there thinking, I can't do it, I don't get it, and I never will. So I think what might help with our discussion here is to actually lay out what growth mindset is, because the article actually discusses some of the common confusions. So growth mindset is the belief that qualities can change and we can develop our intelligence and abilities. The opposite of having a growth mindset is having a fixed mindset, which is the belief that intelligence and abilities cannot be developed. The reason that this definition of growth mindset is so important is because research has shown and a lot of this is in Carol Dweck's book, that specific beliefs lead people or students to take on challenges, work harder and more effectively, and that magic P word, perseverance in the face of struggles, all of which helps make us, makes us all more successful learners. I know that for me, perseverance was always the hardest thing to teach because the way that I grew up, it was like, you do it till you get it right. And I can think back to, again, I can apply it right back to math. Third grade, getting a sheet of 100 multiplication problems, and you had to do it in a minute, and you had to keep doing it until you got it in that time frame. And so that was one way that perseverance was taught to me. Now, I'm not saying that was good at all. Quite frankly, I don't think I would ever do that to a third grader. But... It helped me see how perseverance is, along with like playing sports and anything that I had to work hard at, which was a lot of different things, or anytime I decided I wanted to learn something new. Let me say that again. Anytime I decided that something was important enough for me to learn, I learned how to work hard at it. Right, and I think that um, is a piece that is very confusing for teachers to understand when we're talking about growth mindset. It's more than just when you say working hard at a hundred different problems, it's more than just doing the same thing again and again and again until you get it. It involves thinking hard, which involves reflecting on and changing your strategy. So unless you have the time to think about what you've done, why you did it the way you did, and then are exposed to a new strategy that may click with how your brain processes information, then you're going to be stuck and not have the confidence in performing whatever task is put in front of you. So listeners, I'm moving closer to the microphone right now because I want you to respond to us on this. How do we do this? Because a lot of times we get stuck into our own ways of not looking back and reflecting. But how do we do this? And I think that's one of the things that the articles here talk about. So if you're listening, send us your comments. We want to hear it because then we can share it with everybody. Because if I'm asking the question, there's definitely people out there that are asking the same ones. With the misconceptions that they talk about in here, the first one that really jumped out at me, Suzanne, was the idea of to foster a growth mindset, simply praising children for working hard. I think you had mentioned this before. It, I think it totally misses the point of the hard thinking that's involved. 
It's not just work hard, work hard, work hard. You're great working hard. And actually, I'm going to pull in the other article, too, into this part, because one of the things that Carol Dweck, the article that the other one that we'll discuss, talks about is that she's afraid of people turning it into bumper sticker um, psychological theory because it's really not. It's something much, much bigger, like the idea of praise the effort, not the outcome. Well, the outcome is important. It's important how we get there. It's important that we're working hard to get there. But when you take something as complex as this growth mindset and boiling it down to six words, it really misses the point. Right. It's very easy in a classroom where if you're in second grade and it's a very busy classroom, um, it's very easy to say good job when you're seeing a student that is trying is trying, just not successful at it, getting that right answer. Um, but the trick, I believe, is to ask them, tell me what you're doing, tell me what you're thinking, and figure out that, that puzzle. How does their brain work, and what strategy do you have that will make sense to them? So again, listeners, we're coming out to you. How do we teach thinking hard? Because what both of us are talking about but not really saying is that these strategies involve thinking hard. I know when I was teaching, that was one of the hardest things for me to get across to the students is that you have to think and think for yourself. And thinking can be hard. It's much easier to just kind of go with the flow and what everybody else is saying and doing and not even... And I think that's where like we get into this trap of thinking we understand what we're doing, whether a student is doing it or even as us as adults, we think we understand what we're doing, but we're not really thinking about it. And so when it comes time for us to do it on our own, it's just knowledge without an application. Right, I completely agree, Mike. The other piece of uh, the article that struck me was when Carol was talking about how you don't necessarily have a growth mindset in every aspect of your life, in every subject that you're studying as a student. You could have a growth mindset in some areas, but not in others. There are things that can trigger you into a fixed mindset. And I think that's very easy to understand, especially when I hear so many people saying, I hate math, I hate math, I'm not a good writer, or I hate technology. Uh, it's very easy to understand that. So the, the challenge is to go outside your comfort zone to that area where your fixed mindset is triggered and then think about, okay, how do I get from this point to having a growth mindset? This actually leads to this idea which is point three, which is growth mindset is about change is about changing young people, not adults. And so I think that that right there is a one, it's a confusing statement. Like we think about growth mindset and we're in such an education thought process that it's all about the students, the students, the students. It's gotta be the students gotta do this. We gotta get the students to do this. But with growth mindset, it's really not just students, but everybody. I know we kind of mentioned this earlier at the beginning, but to be able to best help students, we first must be willing ourselves to start this growth mind process. Right. And an easy way to think about that is 
you're modeling. You're always modeling for your students, whether you're teaching a math lesson or a vocabulary lesson. Uh, everything you do in the classroom, your, your students are watching you. They're listening to you. They see so much more than you can ever imagine. So it's very, very important for adults to start with themselves. If we don't work to shift our own mindset about ourselves and our students, then we won't work to change many other important things in the system necessary to improve education. This is coming straight from uh, Carol Dweck's article. Uh, she also states that our efforts to foster growth mindsets in students are likely to fail because we will say and do things that reflect our fixed mindset beliefs, which students will notice. And it makes me think back to a training, Suzanne, that we did earlier this week where we were at the training. One of the things that was mentioned was that what students learn from or what our audience learns from is like only like 10% of the words we say and everything else is like the way we say it, the way we present ourselves, the attitudes that we bring to it. And so when we're thinking about this idea of growth mindset and we're wanting the students to do it, if we think about those, the things that we learned at that um, meeting, we can then think about this idea of, well, it's not all about what I say, but it's how I say it, how I do it. And so if we're unwilling to work hard mentally to improve ourselves, how can we expect the students to do so? I completely agree with that. Absolutely, because ultimately, we want to figure out how we as humans can all become more motivated and effective learners. And quite frankly, with our intelligence, there's always the ability to grow it and we don't have to be stagnant in it. One of the shows I really like to watch is on TV, it's called Scorpion. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I have not. But the whole basis of the show is these five geniuses together are like solving the world's problems, but they don't know how to talk to people even though their IQs are 198 or whatever it is on the show, but they have to have a quote-unquote normal person, a person who probably has this growth mindset based on how she is in the show, kind of help them like work together with people. And in the show, you can see how these highly intelligent people are starting to make incremental gains in their abilities and not just their intelligence. And so... Even something like a TV show where they're showing how growth mindset can work in adults, it's important for us to kind of reflect on what we're doing. And reflection is a key part of it because if we're not exploring ourselves, if we're not exploring our mindsets, then we're not going to develop habits that help us grow as learners. Mm -hmm. um, and for us to do that, it's becoming more authentic in what we're doing, whether it's um, how we teach, how we create context for students to thrive in, and making our learning process visible to other students and other adults. I always found that when I was teaching, the students learned the most when they could see that I was learning it at the same time they were whether I actually was or not. Absolutely. But it was all in how I presented it, and that allowed them to take that leap, take that chance to, hey, Mr. Thomas might actually know what he's talking about. Who knew? 
Absolutely. And this goes along with, with many practices that I know teachers use today, including just asking the right questions and not being afraid to get the wrong answer and exploring uh, different ways to get to that answer, but letting the students see that whether it's, it's true or not, you may not know the answer. And that's all right. Let's ask the questions. Let's think different ways to get there. And I think this is where the Common Core Standards comes in because it's, it truly is ways for students to see things differently and it helps them grow. Whether we agree or not agree, there are standards, they're what we have to follow. And one of the great things about them is that they're really truly trying to encourage this idea of deep thinking. And I think that not only applies to the students, but that also applies to us in our deep thinking because when we read it and we go, huh, what? Let me go on Khan Academy and watch a video to see how this actually works. Like we have to be willing to make those steps and not be in the mind frame of, this is how I learned it, this is how I've done it, this is how I should teach it. Right, every mind is different. I've always said that throughout my entire career in education. Every adult's mind is different, every student's mind is different, and you cannot expect that everyone's going to learn the same way. I think teachers in this district know that. I think it's, uh, it's just something new to think about how we can instill this growth mindset in children. Mike, do you think that it's only in the mind, only with how students learn? Are there other factors that come into play? Well, that's a great question, and it actually is the fourth point in the article, um, is this idea that not just the world that we're trying to create for the students and their knowledge, but everything else applies. It's affected by the context with which they come to you. It comes from the culture which they come from, the environments, and other life systems around them. Pretty much everything around you affects your mindset. So with our students, everything around them affects their mindset. So it's one of those things where we really have to think about it. And one of the ways, as I was reading this, it made me think of an old proverb, I think. I'm not sure where I heard it from, but if you want to be ignorant, surround yourself with ignorant people. But if you want to be wise, surround yourself with wise people. I don't know, maybe it's just something my grandfather made up, but it really stuck with me because if I'm around ignorant or negative people, I'm going to become ignorant and negative because I assimilate myself into that area of my life. And so I think this idea that it's all about what's in the mind misses that there's more to us than just the, what is it, eight pounds that our brain is. Right, so it's more than just uh, modeling for a student the growth mindset. You also have to take into account their environment and the culture that they live in. And that's a tough one, right? I think it's, it's not always easy to think of ways that you can alter a student's culture and context that they have outside of school. Yeah, having just random people coming together random students coming together from all walks of life is very tough and tricky to deal with because for some students 
you might explain growth mindset and they might latch right onto it. Um, the Class Dojo, if any of you use Class Dojo out there, they have some great videos. They're in British, but they explain the growth mindset in a way that makes sense for students. It actually talks about how your brain works, which helps the students. And I noticed last year, especially like when I showed students these videos, they kind of started to like just change their attitudes about um, having the ability to do things where before they would just shut down. After watching the videos, I saw at least a little spark and I've heard other teachers say that uh, the main character's name is escaping me right now, but like he wouldn't do that. This is what he would do. And so it was just another one of those ways where even though everybody's coming from a different background, by having the shared idea and understanding of what growth mindset is, is at least a very good starting point. I wonder if that uh, video is similar or completely different from one that I saw on Sesame Street that also uh, referenced this growth mindset. And of course, I grew up on Sesame Street. I love Sesame Street. Uh, but the, the key phrase in this video was, you don't know that yet. So it was a very um, positive video to help students understand that, yeah, you might not get it now, but it's not that you will never get it. It's just that you don't know it yet. Yeah, um, the power of yet is such a strong word, even though it's three letters and something that we learn very early on. Um, that's, um, it, they do actually talk about it in the videos. Um, I think even one of the episodes is called The Power of Yet. So, well, we've talked about four of these confusions. What's the last one, Suzanne? The last confusion is that improvement is all about changing beliefs and not doing anything else. Well, geez, I can see the problem with that one. <laughs> we just focus on changing beliefs. That beliefs like that can be wishy-washy. Like, oh, I believe the sky is green today. And I can walk around all day being like, well, the sky is green because I believe it is. Or, or I believe that I'm an awesome ice skater. I may believe that, but I may not get to that point unless I do something, unless I change what I'm currently doing. So it includes changing learning tasks, changing testing practices, and grading systems. Yeah, I think that a lot of times students get bogged down in, how did I do on that test? Or I this test said that I don't understand it. Or... While I love some of our technology tools, um, one that I've seen kind of negatively affect students at times is where they try to pass something on a game or like whether it's like using Scratch or um, iReady or some of the other programs that we have or Minecraft and they get stuck at a point and then they're like, oh, I believed I could do it. Why can't I do it? And again, they're missing the the hard thinking part and a lot of times even the tasks and things that we design I know even myself as a teacher there were things that I did last year that I would do differently this year after learning more about the growth mindset and realizing that 
hey, I might have been negatively affecting them because of my attitudes going into something. Interesting. I think that's so easy to do. I, I know in the elementary school, I'm sure at every level of teaching, uh, every day is extremely busy. And uh, it takes a lot of conscious effort to change our own mindset to shift from a fixed to a growth mindset, but to always remember also that we're modeling for our students every step of the way. Wow, these are some pretty confusing points that we're trying to address. Um, one of the things in the article that I really liked um, is they, they had this picture of the types of mistakes that we make and like kind of like where it falls with like whether it's a learning opportunity or in the intentionality of it. So like we have sloppy mistakes like I spelled Massachusetts wrong. To me that would be a sloppy mistake and I would think that that would probably not be a very good learning opportunity other than, hey, you forgot the S. There's two S's in it or something like that. So they have in, in this graph that they have like they have the sloppy mistakes, that's like the low um, intentionality, the high learning, because I probably didn't mean to make that mistake. And then along the, the high intentionality, high learning is high stakes mistakes. And then there's the aha moment mistakes, so that's the low learning opportunity, uh, low intentionality with the higher learning opportunity, and probably the best spot on this chart I would think is the the higher learning opportunity and the high intentionality which is the stretch mistakes the mistakes that we make that we learn from so that we don't do them again and it stretches our thinking like Columbus thinking the world was flat so it's going against something inside you that is a little hesitant to take that risk it's seeing a computer and a new system and being able to say, hmm, what happens if I click here? What's gonna happen if I click there? And not thinking about breaking anything or shutting down your computer. So you say that, the immediate thing I think of is The Simpsons and when Homer gets a computer and he's trying to work from home and he looks down and he sees the tab button and he's like, oh, I like tab, it'll give me a soda. And then he just keeps pushing it, expecting a soda to come out. Like, <laughs> he just gets stuck. Like, that's not what it does, Homer. Come on, get it together. So growth mindset is this really big topic that we could sit here and we could talk for hours about. And Mike knows that about me. I can talk for a very <laughs> long time when it comes to education. But what I loved about uh, this, this article towards the end of it is she stresses the fact that having a growth mindset leads people to take on challenges they can learn from, to find more effective ways to improve, to persevere in the face of setbacks. How huge is that? To persevere in the face of setbacks. That can apply to so many aspects of somebody's life. And to make greater progress, all of which we need to further cultivate education. Yeah, perseverance. I, I know many of the schools that we visited on the wall, that's one of their like key statements. It's one of their key words that they're trying to work with teaching students about is perseverance. For those schools who are 
focusing on perseverance, I really encourage you to check out either the book, some of the articles, type in growth mindset on Google and type in Carol Dweck. That information will be um, in the liner notes of today's podcast. And there's a lot of great things with it. Carol Dweck, do you have anything else you want to say before we wrap up our hot take today? I do have one more thought. Something that we haven't really pinpointed is the time frame that someone can expect for a person to go from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. Is it going to happen overnight? No. I don't think so. So people need to be prepared for that long and difficult journey where you work on understanding what your triggers are, what your students' triggers are, and over time, being able to stay in that growth mindset more and more. Yeah. Staying in a growth mindset is always something that we should be striving for because we do want to increase our knowledge, increase our abilities. No one wants to be like, well, I understand everything now. We're good. See you later. Because at that point, you know that their mindset is going to that fixed mindset. So when something new comes up, they'll struggle with it. Exactly. There's always something to learn. There is. And that's what we're hoping this podcast will be for you is opportunities for you to learn. So if you want to learn more about the growth mindset, we encourage you to go on Mindset, the website, MindShift, I mean, sorry, Mindset, MindShift. They're very similar words. So go on MindShift and search out these articles by um, other authors talking about Carol Dweck. I also encourage you to check out your local library. I know for a fact because that's how I read the book. Um, Carol Dweck's book is called Mindset, The Psychology of Success, How We Can Learn to Fulfill Our Potential, Parenting, Business, School, and Relationships. Fantastic book. She examines a lot of people in a lot of ways. This was a huge research project that her and her staff did, and we really encourage you to learn more about it. We do believe it's something that will help you with teaching and your own personal practices. Coming up next, our interview with Brendan Reed. at the We Learn Symposium that was held on March 3rd. In addition to many teachers presenting, we also had our own Brendan Reed. Brendan has been a part of our digital learning team since August and has taken on the huge responsibility of supporting MCAS. As we are in the midst of MCAS testing, we thought it would be appropriate for our inaugural podcast to start off with our interview with Brendan. Thank you for joining us today. Can you just please tell us your name and your role? and what you presented on today. Yep, uh, my name is Brendan Reed. Uh, I work as a digital learning analyst uh, in central office for the Springfield Public School System. Uh, and today at the WeLearn Symposium, I presented on MCAS 2.0. So in your MCAS sessions that you've done, what are you hoping um, participants will walk away with? Yeah, well, I'm hoping folks uh, you know, get a general understanding of what to expect uh, with this year's upcoming state assessment. So. Uh, 
uh, you know, for example, we in my session we spent a great amount of time looking at practice materials, uh, reviewing the content that can be expected within the as assessment, um, and we talked about the structure of the assessment so that hopefully uh, everybody can walk away today with a little bit of familiarity as to what they're going to be seeing uh, once we are testing. So in your role in the district, I imagine you go out to many schools to talk about MCAS and preparing for it. What are some of the things that you took, you took away from that time that you'd like to share with all teachers? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, every school has a different procedure when it comes to state assessment, whether it be for security or for preparation. It could include various subjects. You know, it's important for us, especially at the central office, to, to have an open mind uh, and to, to take the little things that we can learn from each school and to really make sure that everybody is aware because we are a large district. Uh, you know, we're talking about a lot, a lot of schools in the elementary, middle school level. Uh, they're going to be taking MCAS 2.0 uh, in grades 4 and 8 online. And we want to make sure that everybody's on the same page and learning from each other because, you know, with, with an assessment like this that's new, it's tough to know everything. So we want to make sure that we're using and utilizing every resource uh, available. So what have been some of the challenges in getting schools caught up to speed with the new MCAS that you've come across? Well, uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that we've had challenges. I just think, you know, our digital learning team down at Central Office works really well uh, in terms of coordinating and really working to make sure that every school, uh, you know, from the principal to the test coordinator all the way down to the student, uh, that every school is on the same page uh, moving together towards the completion of this assessment. I think, <clears throat> you know, our team has really done a great job of, of taking the information that's developed from the, from the state, uh, putting it onto our, our new Brightspace MCAS 2.0 course and messaged everything well. You know, right now we're, we're in the process of organizing and conducting infrastructure trials, which, uh, you know, once completed will have given every uh, principal, test coordinator, test administrator, and student uh, the replication of what to expect uh, the day of testing for computer-based testing, especially uh, for our fourth graders who will, who will be partaking in that assessment. With the fourth graders being the largest group of students taking the test this year, um, what would you say to their teachers who are tech hands-off, who don't like the computer in the first place, but know that they have to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, the main, I think one of the main components of MCAS 2 is that it's designed to phase in computer-based testing assessments. We want to make sure that, that everybody, especially in the fourth grade this year and then next year in the fourth and fifth grade, um, that everybody is on board and that everybody is supported. For us, it's making sure that you know, we're, we're providing the correct and, and, you know, adequate support to the folks at the higher levels at each school so that they can then go out to their, their you know, their test administrators and their teachers and be confident in explaining the processes that are involved with MCAS. Now, of course, you know, it's, it's really a matter of, you know, making sure that everybody feels comfortable, um, you know, and that starts with us at the district level. <clears throat> we take pride in ownership and making sure that, that we touch base with every school, every principal, and every test coordinator who can then, again, go out and, and speak with confidence to all these test administrators and, and teachers who may have a little uneasy, have a little, excuse me, may be a little uneasy regarding computer-based testing so that we're all on the same page and heading in the same direction.
So I, in, I know one te one question many teachers probably will have when it comes to MCAS and taking MCAS online is what happens if the computer crashes in the middle of an MCAS test? What happens to the students' answers? Are they going to be lost? Will they have to start again from question one? Uh, that's a great question. So the student will have to sign back into the device to, to resume the assessment. The test administrator who is proctoring will stop the assessment. We've distributed instructions on how to do that in every school and you know it's important to reiterate this every school will be partaking in an infrastructure trial which will allow a teacher to distribute a test ticket in a seal code so that a student can log in and actually replicate a testing session <clears throat> so that every teacher understands what to do in that scenario so uh, explicit instructions will be distributed to everybody on how to handle that situation should when in of course when, I should say, it arises, because it most definitely will. Will their answers be lost? Will they need to start nope. back again? They will not. So we, our district has set up proctor caching servers, which, you know, for uh, an individual who's not tech savvy, it's just a server that catches every response from the student. So, you know, once, once the student logs in to start taking the test, uh, that content is coming from somewhere. We like to think of it as the cloud or the, the web or who knows, but obviously it's not a white puffy thing outside. It's it's an actual server, a physical server that's housed by our district uh, that's catching every student answer uh, that they're responding to. When thinking about this tool, the MCAS 2.0, the test nav, when thinking about it, on a scale of 1 to 10, how difficult do you think it's going to be for students and or teachers to be using? We're using 10 as the easiest. <laughs> I think we're going to say uh, I think we're, we're definitely going to be, uh, you know, in 8, 9, or 10. Uh, you know, I, and I say that because I have so much confidence in our messaging and in the principals and test coordinators who've been working with. You know, we've gotten such good responses from everybody that we've worked with. You know, and I really, you know, I tend to think about, especially our district, it just in general, is just one big ship, you know, heading, heading in a direction, right? And, you know, it's our responsibility at the top. To, to set the course, but it's everybody, you know, from the principal to the test coordinator to the teachers to the students, it's a responsibility to, to run the ship to make sure that we're all heading in the same direction, that everything's working properly. And we've gotten great responses. We're, we're really well organized. We're on top of the game. We're definitely ahead of the curve in the state in terms of making sure that everybody is aware of the materials that are available, uh, that everybody is up to speed on, on what to expect. You know, I, and especially, you know, with the technology aspect, I think, you know, we've done such a great job messaging and we've had such great feedback that, you know, I don't think or foresee that necessarily being a problem for us at all. Are there any final words you'd like to leave for teachers or anyone, any one of our listeners? Well, I, I just, you know, I can't thank everybody enough, uh, you know. Everybody who's reached out, everybody who's sought support, everybody who's been patient, everybody who's worked with us. Um, you know, this this is a, a new endeavor for all of us. MCAS 2.0 is is new, of course. Um, you know, and you know we're working diligently as are the folks on the school level to make sure that this is going to be uh, an easy and smooth process. So that you know, I know our folks at the schools, our teachers are working very hard, and so are our students. And we want to make sure that those efforts are are represented. Um, you know, after testing, and we look forward to to seeing that represented as well. And uh, would you agree that uh, 
Preparing for the online administration of MCAS is similar, no, no different than uh, any other technology tool in that teachers will be more successful in administering this test the more they are able to practice with their students using the practice tests that are available, using the online tutorial that's available. Uh, many schools have signed up for one infrastructure trial. Can a school do more than one infrastructure trial if they so choose? They sure can. So that's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, every school is mandated uh, to have a student taking a computer-based assessment to practice one session of computer-based testing. Uh, directions have been uh, distributed to every principal as of Friday the 3rd of March. So everybody is expected to, to partake in practice sessions. Um, you know, we really want our students to, to be familiar with that technology aspect uh, of the assessment. The infrastructure trial, on the other hand, is not mandated. However, this is why, again, you know, Michael asked a great question earlier from the 1 to 10 scale, why I think you know, we're going to be 8, 9, or 10 easily, because the infrastructure trial is not mandated. It's, it's support that you know, us at the district level are offering to every principal and every test coordinator, which, which provides each school the opportunity in a practice environment to replicate the day of testing for computer-based students. So you know, creating sample students, putting them into sample test sessions, printing seal codes and testing tickets, and actually using the TestNav client, which is what's going to be used for our computer-based testing for proctoring on the individual student laptops um, to sign in and actually see a test session in the TestNav. And every school has been receptive uh, that we've talked to. We've scheduled and already completed, uh, I believe, 10 trainings so far in the week that we've offered this service. And I know we have many more to come, and we're really excited about the enthusiasm that's been generated from this from this infrastructure trial. Folks are, are really excited to, to be on board and to get going with that. So, you know, with everything, uh, you know, its experience leads to success. I think, we, you know, we could all agree on that. If we just had everybody show up the day of testing and hope for the best, we'd be in trouble. But, you know, that's why we're here and that's why we're working very hard and why everybody's working very hard to make sure that, that this goes very smoothly. And I believe it will. Can people contact you directly, Brendan? They sure can. However, uh, our team, um, you know, I'm not the lone person for MCAS. We have a, a group of five uh, at the district level who work very hard to, to make sure that everybody's supported. Uh, our team can be reached at DLA support at springfieldpublicschools.com. And we are very diligent in checking that, that email job box um, to make sure that, you know, if somebody does have a question regarding practice materials, content, rubrics, uh, X, Y, or Z, it could be anything regarding the state assessment, that we'll get back to you promptly. So I would definitely recommend reaching out to, uh, to that email address. Will you also be holding informational sessions between now and the date of administration? We will be. Yep. So uh, our team is hosting topic-specific uh, or excuse me, training sessions uh, at Duggan uh, Middle School and at Central Office. Uh, they are topic-specific, and if anybody's interested in partaking in or, or coming to these sessions for for whatever reason, um, you can sign up in MLP or you can go on to the Brightspace MCAS 2.0 course. Now, if you're looking to get to that course, your principal, IRS, ILS, or test coordinator have access to that course. They can, you can sit down and breeze through that course and look at the content that's been posted there. That is our one-stop shop resource for all things MCAS. And we highly suggest that folks utilize that. 
Um, we do provide weekly updates, so any new information that's pertinent, whether it be from the state or from the district, is posted uh, on that course. We've really tried to get away from filling up people's inboxes in Outlook. Um, you know, we, you can definitely go to that course, and the listing of trainings will be there as well, with a link to MLP for your folks to be able to sign up. If people go to that course, do they also need to go to the DESE website and Pearson website in order to access information that they'll need for test administration, or can they find most everything on that Brightspace MCAS 2.0 course? Yep, so anything that's pertinent to the assessment will be on that course with a link to the DESE website, and then they can find the materials there as well. Well, thank you for your time, and um, we'll be hearing lots more about MCAS 2.0 in the future. I'm sure will. Thank you for your time, guys. That was such a great interview, Suzanne. I'm glad that we got the chance to talk with Brendan Reed at the conference. One of the things that really stuck out to me was this idea that experience leads to success. The more you practice, the better off you're going to be, and the more relaxed and better the students will be during the actual test. Absolutely. And as you can see from that interview, Brendan is a very calm, relaxed support person. So any questions you have, you know he will be able to handle quickly. So again, remember from the interview, Brendan said to email dlasupport at springfieldpublicschools.com with any of the questions you have. Now here's your chance to let us know what you think. Email us at dlasupport at springfieldpublicschools.com. Include podcasts in your subject line. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Thomas. And I'm Suzanne Zargis. We're signing off. <laughs>